The God of Atheists, Chapter 75, Pierre's Decision. Terry called Pierre and John, the software tester, into the boardroom. I, I just got a call from Dave, he said. We got the Agicore project. There was a silence. John's jaw dropped slowly. Pierre laughed harshly, running his fingers through his thick black hair. So, so n now we've got this web project, said Terry, and it's a pretty, pretty tight deadline, but I think I have a solution. You're not serious, said Pierre. I am. Look, this is what I think, this, how we can solve it. Terry went over to the whiteboard and began diagramming. We've got a data dictionary which stores all the fields and screen controls in the system. Last night I added all the screen locations of those controls to the data dictionary, the X and Y coordinates on the screen. So I'm thinking, we get a web server to read these locations and generate HTML code to display them in a browser. So now, if we add another table to the data dictionary, which will store the, the, the navigation flow, which screens open which screens, and, and, and program the web server to generate hyperlinks, we'll have, we'll have a functional web interface without having to code each screen. We have over 300, so it would be impossible to do that anyway but by hand, given that we only have a couple of months. Dude said Pierre, exchanging a glance with John. Okay, you've got to get a grip here. We can't do it. You know that, right? I, th I, th I thought that. I mean, I, mean I, I, I was up all night thinking about it, but this will solve the bulk of the problem. Pierre scowled, his brows darkening. No, it won't. Gotta be frank, my friend. You're attending a fantasy camp. So, so, so... <clears throat> So you think, uh, you think there's a problem with my methodology? No. I think there's a problem with your grasp on reality. But, but this will allow us to generate a web interface for, for any customized system. The interface will follow the data dictionary, which is created from the layout of each individual system. Did, do you disagree with that? John leaned forward, placing his large forearms on the table. How are you going to deal with browser independence? Terry shrugged, his shoulders tight. Well, um... <coughs> We'll just have to assume that Netscape will do a, as good a job at interpreting the code as Internet Explorer. It's generic HTML, so, so, so I don't think that John held up a hand. You can't assume that. Well, we'll have to enforce Internet Explorer as a standard then, said Terry, his voice rising. The point is that we have this project now. We fought the good fight. We lost, so, so, so we, we, we have to deliver. Bullshit, said Pierre. Bullshit. What? Fuck, you're going to kill us all. So the salespeople pocket over 100000 a piece. What? U.S., right? And we kill ourselves for 50000 a year. Canadian. Why? We got fucked on the options. Hey, you made your piece good enough, but why would John and I do it? Uh, yeah, said Terry, that's true, but, but if we develop this web interface system, we, we, we can sell it to any... We've been fucked by that mirage once before, said Pierre. Don't even try. There was a pause. Terry turned and looked at his whiteboard. But it's so beautiful. He turned to John. How do you feel? I can't guarantee, said John heavily, that this system can be tested effectively in the time frame we have. I mean, maybe, maybe the interface, assuming one browser... But how are you going to process the data? You've got to rewrite the code. I was thinking, said Terry, that we use 
Visual Basic, create ActiveX DLLs, keep DAO as the data access, and call them from the web server. Then we can copy and paste the code from Access, and I think 80, 90% of the code will work without modification. That's a lot of code, said John, shaking his head slowly. I think eight months minimum. No, 10. Based on what, demanded Terry. You're just, you're just pulling numbers from thin air. Well, I'll tell you how it works for me, replied John, curling his hands into fists. Based on my experience with you and Pierre, I take any estimate you give me and triple it. And that's just for Windows coding. You throw the web in, the learning curve, the code translation, I think five to six times what you tell me. Oh, come on, cried Terry. That's crap. Triple our estimates? You're... When was Cyrex supposed to be done, Terry? Asked John. Eight weeks. Now we're over three months. He jabbed his finger into the table. Not done. That's because the specs are bullshit. For Agicore, we're translating the standard system to the web. We, we, we have the best spec there is because it's a completed system. Oh, so you know exactly which features you're bringing across? Demanded John. The reporting wizard, query by form, subforms, screen resizing in a browser? Guys, guys, said Pierre, raising his hand. Let's just take a step back, okay? It really doesn't matter because we're not going to do it. But we have to do it cried Terry. Pierre stood up. No, you have to do it. He smiled suddenly. Look, you're a friend and a great guy. We go way back and all. So I got to tell you, no, for your own good. This company is bullshit. Terry froze. Bullshit? Yeah, you heard me. Why? Why would we do this? You've made your money. John and I and all the others got fucked. You've got to get a grip, Terry. This is all a fantasy. So, what are you saying? You're quitting? I'm no quitter. We don't do any good to the client by pretending we can do something we can't. Or Dave. The time has come to lay down the law. It's all bullshit. And if you don't raise the red flag, I will. Terry tried to stare him down, but faltered. So, he murmured, it's all up to me. Oh, for Christ's sake, spat Pierre. He grabbed his notepad. Time to get out of Dodge, dude. This ship is going down. Everything's been signed, said Terry emptily. We have no choice. We'll see about that, said Pierre, then turned and left the room. After a moment, John rose and followed him. Alone, Terry turned to the whiteboard to his hasty diagrams and brilliant thoughts. Fuck! he shouted, suddenly hurling the marker at it. Back at his desk, Pierre did not even pause. He opened the Sansity website, found the number, and made the call. This is for you, buddy, he thought. Maybe someday you'll thank me. Chapter 76, Dave's Release Dave had sold all of his 100,000 shares, netting about $150,000. Sweet, sweet, sweet. He had just over seven months to go until his next 100,000 were released from escrow and could be traded. 
He was flying high. He was waiting to pay off his debts, just loving the number of zeros on the bank statement from his brokerage house. After its sudden spike and dip, the stock had settled back to about 50 cents. Not bad, he thought. Not bad. I just have to bide my time and wait for six months or so before telling Sansity and the market as a whole about Terry's little database builder. Mmm, things will go through the roof then. It was with great pride and joy that he went down to Sansity's head office at the TD Center at the CEO's request. Sit down, Dave, said Robert. Dave's antennae went up immediately. Mm, nothing jovial here. Another man entered. He was young, tall, thin, and had that laser-shocky legal thing going. Dave, this is Dennis Underwood, our legal counsel. I asked him to be present during this interview. Uh, huh, said Dave slowly. Deep in the folds of his boxers, his testicles began to shrivel. There was no preamble. Tell me about Cyrix, said Robert. Well, what do you want to know? When we did our due diligence, we called them and talked to a Ted Howell, who said that the project was good. Risky, but he was confident that it would be finished. Dave nodded. That makes sense. He was the lead contact. Information has come to light about the project. This morning I called Nabil Gurgis, who informed me that he was awaiting a response from you, us, now, regarding a refund on the project, Robert turned to Dennis. Is that right? Dennis nodded. So, continued Robert, leaning forward, what is going on? That's a very valid question, smiled Dave. These are the facts. We took this project on as a last leader. First client, huge industry, you know. We knew we'd probably take it in the shins. We were working with Ted. Everything was humming along. Not without bumps, of course, but we were getting there. Terry was distracted by his other product, this database builder. Shit, you should see this thing. It's going to make us all rich. Right. So then Ted goes off the deep end, flips out or something. Don't know the details. Then this Nabil guy calls us in and wants to cancel the project. I mean, we talked some, but that was his agenda from the moment we walked through the door. Territorial, you know, his predecessor's project and all. There was no reasoning with him. So then I got this letter. When? Interrupted Robert. About two months. No, wait, two, two and a half. Two and a half months? I'd have to check my notes. Dennis opened a folder. Uh, this letter is dated October 21st, 1999. So you got it a day or two after that. Almost three months. Dave pursed his lips. Hmm. And now you're concerned because I didn't tell you. I can appreciate that. I'd feel the same way if I were you. But it's tricky. The moment this goes legal, I mean, from our end, it goes public, and now we're on the TSE, that would be... So I made a judgment call. I thought, I'll get in touch with Ted, get him to talk to Nabil's boss, sort things out. I mean, we were dealing with a representative of Cyrex on this project, so Robert held up his hand. So your solution was to get an unstable employee to talk Cyrex into starting the project up again? Well, <laughs> unstable, I, I don't know. We, <laughs> we all have our moments. <laughs> he was overstretched. Uh, on stress leave, that's not a one-way ticket to the funny farm, right? I felt 
that the negotiations needed some kind of continuity. And what happened? I put several calls into Ted, and we, we ju- we, we've just played phone tag ever since. His messages were perfectly lucid, you know, just, just tired. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we all get Dennis interrupted him. Did you have any reason to believe that he would be reinstated at Cyrex? Well, obviously I was going to talk to him about that. Robert's eyes narrowed to beady slits. See, the thing is that we bought your company because of Cyrex. Looks real good on a prospectus. Logos on the website. Yeah, I know, and I'm really... Now, you don't have Cyrex, and that's bad. And what's even worse is that Cyrex has not just gone away, but is hanging around to extract our teeth, which is something we have to release now to the marketplace, because we are a public company. And we also have to explain just why we didn't release it four months ago when you got the goddamn letter! Or at the very least in January when we did the reverse takeover of Sansity! And that's not going to be good for business. Yeah, I hear you, said Dave with feeling. I know what it will do, the perception. That's why I was hoping to deal with it by... Why didn't you just pay them? demanded Dennis. I mean, it was, what, not even a hundred K? Compared to what this will do to the stock, said Robert. It was a judgment call. If it had worked, you'd be shaking my hand right now. It was my call, and I take full responsibility for it. Robert scowled, jabbing a forefinger at him. The issue is, Dave, that I have a senior manager whose company has blown a contract. Their only significant contract with a major client and is now in the process of being sued. All of which transpired over the past three months. And not a word, not a goddamned word. Dave held up his hands. I don't believe in being an alarmist. Alarmist, shouted Robert, making Dave almost jump. Alarmist? The ship's almost fucking down and you're not even ringing the bell. Look, Robert, said Dave. You, you tell me how this conversation is going to go. You want to chew my ass out, be my guest. Obviously, you think I fucked up. So fine, fine. But don't ask me to answer a question and then just keep interrupting me. That's bullshit to my mind, and it's beneath both of us. Robert paused, exchanging a glance with Dennis. Then he got up and left the room. Uh-huh, said Dave, turning to the lawyer. So now I go home and rue my sins, right? Mr. Washington has authorized me to inform you that your services will no longer be required by Sansity. You... What the fuck? How old are you? Twenty-five? You can't fire me. I mean, you can, but I've got a golden parachute that would fold a fucking platoon. Not if you do something illegal. Illegal? What? What? What is that? Not not telling Robert about Cyrix? That's not illegal. We've gone over your expense accounts at Emus before we bought. Last year, you were charging your wife's car insurance to the company. So? So, 
Mr. Bugle, it clearly states in our purchase agreement that you were to tell us about any legal exposures Emus had at the time of purchase. Now, putting the insurance of a non-employee through the company is illegal and thus represents a legal exposure to Sansity, which you did not inform us about. This makes your contract null and void. I see. So what you're telling me is that Robert's not even going to hold me down while you fuck me. This also goes to the stock options as well as all the stocks you hold in escrow. Dave's face turned purple. Now, now let's just slow the fuck down, okay, Sonny? That deal is done. That deal represents more than a year of my life. That deal represents, at its peak, more than two million dollars. That deal is not going to be undone because of some minor insurance diddling. I mean, what the fuck? Legal exposure? Yank my other chain. Nothing's going to happen if Sansity doesn't do anything. I, I mean, he said laughing incredulously. You're, you're saying that Sansity is worried about legal problems with, which, which only Sansity could conceivably act on? Come on, tell me you have a better story than that. That's all, Mr. Bugle. Dave grinned, his eyes wide. Okay, 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 okay. Bad me. I fucked up. You guys are right. Point taken. Lesson learned. I, I, I understand. But, but what... Because of that, you're going to, uh, what, what, close Emus? That decision has not been taken yet. What? What, close it down? Oh, oh, come on, man. Don't be ridiculous. This can be, this can be spun. What, what, okay, you're young. You, you think that everything is black and white, a disaster. You, you toss Emus, you, you lose a third of your valuation immediately. Ah, oh, but that won't happen, thought Dave and suddenly understood what was going on. If you close Emus, you will lose some value, but not as much as if you were perceived as having lied to investors or facing a lawsuit from a huge manufacturer. And if they find out, I never even called Ted O. Davy B. You are well and truly fucked at this point. I think we're done here. For now, said Dennis, closing his binder. Your employment is ended, Mr. Bugle, effective immediately. You will receive no severance. Your stocks will not be released from escrow. Your options are null and void. You are not to return to Emus. We will send all personal effects to you. Look, you you guys don't want to sleep on this? Think about it? I, uh, <coughs> it's a pretty big step. You also remain constrained by both the non-compete and non-solicitation clauses in your contract, which we fully expect you to abide by. Yeah, yeah, my contract is null and void, but those clauses stand. Fuck me. He glanced up and smiled brightly. Hey, what the fuck? Maybe the stock never goes up again. I got 150k salary, another 150k stock, 300k, one year, okay. I can live... He stood quickly, leaned forward, and shook the lawyer's hand. All right. No hard-ons. It just, it just didn't work out. You okay? The lawyer's eyes narrowed. Yes, fine. Dave grinned broadly. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll clear out. My call. Your company. Y your decision. Driving home, he felt a cold, tense, grim rage coursing through his innards. 
fucking loyalty. Who stands by anyone anymore? Yeah, I should have got off my ass about Cyrax. But we were so close. Oh, if Terry had finished that fucking Holy Grail, we'd have had more than enough income to pay off Nabil. That slow-ass fucking hick coder. Terry's big brown eyes rose in front of him, and he gripped the wheel tightly. Yeah, great fucking comet to hitch my wagon to. Hi, my name is Terry. I'm from a town where we marry our cousins and fuck our livestock. Let's go into business together. Right. And Robert... I mean, what kind of fucking pussy lets some snot-nosed henchman pull the trigger? I find that a little fucking personally insulting. To be, to be fired by some fucking undergrad hopped up on contract law in his first shiny suit. The idea, which had come to Dave at the end of his dismissal, came back then, just as his tide of rage was beginning to crest. He was beginning to think that he could pay off most of his debts and still have six months' living expenses when the idea returned. He could do something, but he had to be careful. <sighs> careful. Okay, I've just been fired, so they'll think of me first. I need an alibi. Okay, I go home, and I'm talking as I come in. And Ange says, what? And I say, I'm just talking to myself. And then if she ever gets questioned, she says, I was home at that time. No, wait, fuck, that doesn't work. I'd have to use my cell phone. Too traceable. So I use Angie's cell phone. No, they think of that. Can she testify against me? Doesn't matter. They can get the records. Wait, Sarah's cell phone? Yeah, that'll work. They won't check that. Ooh, but what if they did? They might be that careful. Oh, I'd sweat for six months. No good, no good. Okay. okay, what about some anonymous email? Dave rubbed his face. This is too sweet to cast aside, but it has to be done soon. How? How? He drove on, his mind racing. Finally, it hit him. Terry said that spam came from Hotmail accounts and that they were untraceable. So say I'm going to the John, set one up, and send the message, and delete it again. He pulled into his driveway and went in to talk to Angela. No one home. Shit! No, wait, was that someone upstairs? He went up and opened the door to Sarah's room. She was lying on the bed, talking on the phone. Hi, sweetie, he cried. She turned and frowned, then nodded sadly and turned away again. Dave stood fretfully at the door. Can I talk to you, sweetie? Hold on, she said, cupping the receiver. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'm, I'm kind of busy. No, I need to talk to you. Now, he added, his voice rising, maddened by her hesitation. Okay, she said. Got, gotta go, Atlas. Dave knew what they would be talking about later. Parental meltdown. She got up and they went downstairs. Dave led her into the kitchen, then realized that the living room was closer to his home office, where the computer was, and started leading her there. Ooh, not good, he thought. She'll see me go in there instead of to the bathroom. So instead, he led her back to the kitchen, sat her down on one of the bar stools by the breakfast nook. She stared at him. He stared back, thinking, I bet this is going in the notebook. One second, hon, I, I have to just... Excuse myself for a second. Sarah almost rolled her eyes. Tween girls don't actually have to. They have a surfeit of attitude which more than compensates. You couldn't have thought of this before? Dave leapt up, realizing his belly was sweating, and tucked his shirt in a little deeper. He walked through the door, then ran into his study. Cable modem always on. Great. He opened the browser, typed in www.hotmail.com, then quickly created an account. 
shit, who do I send the message to? He went to the website of a certain institutional investor, then ferreted around for a moment or two, looking for a contact page. Finally, he found it, then typed the email address into the Hotmail message. Underneath it, he wrote, Ask Sansity about Cyrix. Then, without pausing, he sent the message and shut the machine down. His hands were shaking. Bombs away. Going back into the kitchen, he noticed that this time Sarah really was making a face. Ew, Dad, don't you flush anymore? Chapter 77. Terry is summoned. Terry had spent about two weeks deep in Codeland, a place where great software is lashed into coherent shape with the fluorescent whips of caffeine and sleeplessness. The database builder was taking shape, and through it, Terry hoped that he could solve the web problem as well. The problem was that the EMIS software had grown to over 300 screens. Building each of these by hand would take a couple of months, and then when a client wanted them changed, as they inevitably did, the effort required would be too great to contemplate. So Terry had yet another inspiration. I can use the data dictionary of the database builder to dynamically build the screens of the web system. It worked thusly. Terry already had a record of each screen, each checkbox, drop-down, and text box. All he had to do was add their positions on the screen and then get the web server to read those locations and create the HTML required to display them in a browser. Getting this to start working was only a few days' work. What made it so absorbing and time-consuming was its tweakability. Getting a Windows screen to display properly in a web browser is very, very difficult. When designing a screen in Windows, Terry could drag and drop a checkbox anywhere. Everything in a browser has to be positioned using big grids or tables. It's like the difference between painting a picture and doing really coarse cross-stitching. So Terry experimented with a lot of different ways to gather the screen information and display it in the browser, and found it very hard to do. One screen looked good, but the same code caused another screen to look as if someone had loaded up a shotgun with screen controls, jotted it from their hip, and fired it at a monitor from a goodly distance. However, he did have a demonstrable system within a few weeks. He had worked two nights straight and was home, enjoying the well-earned coma of the overstretched. When the phone rang, it was about 11 a.m. It was Robert Washington. Terry, he asked. I tried calling your office, but you weren't in. Yeah, 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 said Terry, trying to summon his lively, wide-eyed employee voice. I, I, I was working the past two nights and needed some rest. I see, said Robert, although Terry was fairly sure he didn't. I need you down here now. Is, ev is everything okay? We'll talk when you get here, said Robert, and hung up. Terry was suddenly plunged into yet another of the manic-depressive swings of the workaholic. Ah, workaholics are the curse of the business world. They are Protestants on steroids. They are the cult glue which holds shaky companies together. They create impossible standards, poison cultures, alienate employees, undermine families, and generally bring all the destructions of monomania to the fragile ecosystems of balanced modern lives. Workaholics have very little ability to manage relationships. They are absolutists, displaced fanatics, slaves of the great illusion that happiness lies in the never-ending destruction of free time. They have almost no capacity for negotiation. They are terrified of clients, of their bosses, and thus bullies to their employees and families. 
They are either at your feet or at your throat. They are cold, harsh people who consider it a great virtue to work unpaid overtime for clients who care nothing about them. They irritate those who encounter them, but life, as always, gets its just revenge. These people die alone, or under the indifferent stares of the uncaring. The clients they spend their lives serving do not wash them when they lose their ability to clean themselves. Workaholics spend their whole lives running from themselves, from those around them, from the past. Terry was not a cold person. In fact, he had great capacity for affection, but he was lost, and he had no close personal contacts and had no competing interests to teach him negotiation, balance, and the necessary self-care that results from allowing more than one aspect of the personality free reign. Terry knotted his tie as he waited for the elevator. Having felt the exhilaration of pure creativity, dead slumber, the shock of sudden awakening, the terror of unknown summons from a shadowy superior and a jumbo coffee to put it all in motion, it could be said that his nervous system had all the stability of a German man talking about his mother. There was a security guard in the waiting room, which seemed odd. Robert's secretary told him to wait. He sat for almost half an hour reading the Financial Post, thinking about all the other functional companies in the world. Finally, he was brought into the conference room. Robert sat at one end, wearing a white gauze eye patch, which made him look like a pirate on the side of goodness, along with another man. Terry, I need to know your involvement with Emus's finances. Terry nodded slowly. Man, I, I wish I had some sense of politics. I, 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 don't, I don't know anything about them, really. This is Mr. Tetley, said Robert, glancing up as if daring him to make a joke about tea. He has been brought in by the board to review spending at Emus because of some very disturbing accounting practices which have come to light. Do you want a lawyer to be present? asked Mr. Tetley. You have that right and might want to think it over. A lawyer? wondered Terry, and then wondered it out loud. Why, why, why a lawyer? Well, if we answer that without a lawyer present, said Mr. Tetley, you might be compromised. I see, said Terry. He frowned, but something deep inside him suddenly got terribly impatient, and he felt a sudden spurring need to know. No, he said, I want to... Let's go on. All right, said Mr. Tetley. Now, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Have you ever charged any of the following to Emus, CompuCan, or Sansity? Personal insurance? Terry shook his head for this and the following questions. Car insurance? Any construction on your residence? Any business travel from personal reasons? Personal long-distance phone calls? Meals or accommodations for personal reasons? Clothing? But what is, what is this about? I regret to say, Mr. Coleman, said Robert, but Sansity is terminating your employment effective immediately. Terry stared. In his upper left temple, a small knot of pain began throbbing. Emus, as an independent entity, as a corporation, will cease to exist. The assets 
will be transferred to TSC, one of our other companies, where it will become a support department for existing EMIS clients. No further R&D will take place, and all salespeople will be suspended. We have informed all existing EMIS employees of their terminations, with the exception of the help desk department. Terry could not say a word. The room seemed to tighten suddenly. The roof fell a few inches and the walls closed in. (gasps) My web system? He screamed silently. Now, since you are a contractor, you will receive no severance package. But, 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 but why? Terry cried out. What happened? I am not at liberty to discuss that, said Mr. Tetley. You are terminated as of now. Please hand over your security card and keys. I... I I I, I didn't bring them with me. Terry's face worked. His cheeks were blotchy red. I see, frowned Mr. Tetley. Directly after this interview, then, the security guard waiting outside will accompany you to your home to retrieve them. Terry gulped for breath. I... I have stuff in my office. That guard will then go with you to your office, where you will have 15 minutes to empty your desk of personal effects. Everything you take will be recorded. But you will have no access to your computer, said Mr. Tetley. As you know, everything on your computer is the property of Sansity. My MP3s, thought Terry, who had been a Morpheus and Kazar addict. The patient collection of many months gone. Fuck the music, my code! I also want to say one other thing, said Robert, leaning forward. You've got two other clauses which we fully expect you to honor. There's the non-solicitation, which forbids you to contact any EMIS clients, either real or potential, or to work with any other EMIS ex-employees. There's the non-compete. You are forbidden from working in any of the following areas. Environmental, health and safety, education, banking, multimedia, or mainframe tandem development. Terry's eyes widened. In his mind's eye, his keyboard seemed to recede out of reach. Why? It's only Emus I worked for. Your contract clearly specifies that you may not work in any field that Emus, CompuCan, or Sansity either had an interest in, has an interest in, or has a potential interest in. The before-mentioned fields are barred to you for two years. Terry felt a burning rage then that's fucking slavery ah but what we sign in optimism so often ends up fueling our pessimism it took some time to piece the story together he got a good deal from pierre who had a good source from within sansity their networking guy was a drinking buddy what had happened was this dave had projected five million dollars in sales emus did slightly under Two million. Since being sold to CompuCan, Emus's per month expenses had risen from seventy thousand to just under two hundred thousand dollars. Sansity's accountants were still trying to find out where all the money had gone. Terry knew, of course, where some of it had gone: vanity advertising, large and ineffective marketing and sales departments, investments in the U.S. expansion, first-class travel and hotels, expensive meals. But there has to be more, he thought. And this thought was soon confirmed. Dave had also billed a number of illegal expenses to CompuCan and Sansity. Sansity was considering legal action, but the general feeling, according to the network guy, was that Sansity would not exactly gain from prosecution because of the skeletons within its own closet. Dave had also booked incomplete sales as revenue. 
This was illegal and, if ever brought to the light of day, would expose the senior management of CompuCan and Sansity to criminal proceedings. This last point, or rather not a last point since it ran all the way through the events, was particularly shocking to Terry. They can't appeal to the law because they've broken the law. This seemed so elementally wrong, so mafia-like, that he had a hard time absorbing it. Pierre was much more sanguine. There was, at his core, the eternal Gallic shrug. What the fuck? He said to Terry over beers. They'd taken a cab directly from their office to Gabby's, their local pub, not even going home. Terry was still in his suit. The boxes of their personal items culled from their offices were under the table. Pierre grinned. We had a ride, now it's over. We really got screwed, said Terry, his pale face blotchy with incoherent rage. Ah, sure, but it wasn't like out of the blue or anything. What do you mean? Oh, come on, Terry. Pierre held up his hand and folded down a sequence of fingers. Corrupt salespeople. Know-nothing management. No business processes. And only a proctologist with a flashlight could tell us where Dave's sales projections came from. I lost a shitload on that Houston thing, cut my lease, brought a lot of extra shit. That gave me my first taste of true justice, Davy B style. And then there's us. What? Us, mon ami. Two kids fresh out of school, working on $100,000 systems? Seeing Terry's face, Pierre burst out laughing. (laughs) I mean, come on, are you that vain? Hey, we did some really good work. Sure we did, but that doesn't matter. Why not? Because, buddy, we had no idea what we were doing. We were learning on the client's dollar, which is total bullshit. We had no guidance at all. Come on. You knew this. But the expression on Terry's face showed that he knew very little of this. The idea that he had been even slightly responsible for the disaster that was Emis was obviously beyond shocking. As it was, he was lucky to have Pierre as a friend, because there was worse yet to come. Chapter 78. Alder is Summoned. Dr. Bez Tabarak had a challenge to face, and it was an interesting challenge. He was an academic of the old school, in that he believed in objective truth, but he also faced the academic challenge of publish or perish, and was as subject to the vicissitudes of academic refereeing as everyone else. He had risen to his position as department head due to his extraordinary emotional skills, his talents as an administrator, and his ability to hold his nose and play the game. He taught a class on Aristotle where he did not tolerate rank relativism, as he put it, but also did not destroy the concept of relativism completely. He was like the babblefish in that he did not like the dominance of relativism. He felt that accepting anything as automatically true stifled debate. But he did not mind the existence of relativism. One of Bez's articles had argued for the inclusion of arguments for objective truth in the classroom because it could never be proved that everything was relative, simply because that would create an absolute which contradicted relativism, and because if something could be true because it was proved, then a criteria for truth existed which was superior to relativism. This article had been published about five years previously, and this article came up 
when he called Alder in and fired him. Alder was quite stunned and queasily aggressive. Things had not been going too well for him over the past week. Joanne had moved out to stay with her sister and had taken Stephen with her. The house was large and empty and provided scant consolation for his growing fame. He knew from the tone of Bez's voice on the phone that he might be fired and resolved not to take it lying down. I mean, holy shit, for this fucking article to cost me my wife, son, career and reputation, and then to have doubt cast on the value of my bringing it to the public eye? How ridiculous is that? Thanks for coming in, Professor Parsons, said Bez, sadly, offering him a seat. No problem. Bez paused for a moment, sucking in his cheek. This isn't going to work, I'm afraid. I've been thinking about these issues for the past week, and I can't imagine how I can keep you on. Let me tell you some of the reasons for my decision so you understand, so it makes sense. First, you haven't admitted to any plagiarism, which makes the risk of a repeat offense much greater. Second, you haven't been very cooperative. I had to go to see Rudy's video before things became clear. Third, you have not offered any conciliatory actions, no retractions, or the addition of Gordon's name to your article. Overall, I, I don't think you have come off very well, and I don't think that you should be in front of students. Alder's head lowered slowly during this speech. He had only one card to play. I, d I, d I don't think that it's quite as black and white as that, but with all due respect. Y y yes, I was influenced by this idea to, to some degree, but Ayn Rand came up with something quite similar. Yes, I, I know, not the most academic of sources, but still. So there is no evidence that this student did not lift the idea from her. Quite the contrary. Mm, two wrongs, though. I know, I, I know. I, I just say it to take some of the saintly sheen off the boy. Also, I think that you are not fundamentally clear in your direction on this issue. Oh, how so? Alter opened a journal and read it, hunched awkwardly over his knees. You wrote in, he flipped the cover over, October of, of 1996, and I quote, All ideas are essentially in the public domain. Also, later on in the article, you say the following. Relativism is, is, is but one of the components which need to be presented to students. Contradictory though it may seem, teaching criteria for objective truth can provoke significant and passionate debate. It only weakens relativism to present it without alternatives. It turns it from mental flexibility to a kind of fundamentalist dogma. Yes, said Bez. And, and so... So you say that truth is just another opinion. So, so why is your opinion that I plagiarized more relevant, more important, somehow just more right than my opinion that I did not? Bez stared at him, then felt a desire to laugh and cry at the same time. He nodded slowly, the little sun of reflected light riding up and down his bald forehead. He's right, of course. It seems completely ridiculous to apply modern moral theory to a real-world moral problem that is both very funny and very sad. That article is scarcely department policy, said Bears. Departmental policy states that plagiarism is a firing offense. Yes, cried Alder, slamming the journal shut. 
but I have to have some kind of idea what constitutes plagiarism. It's all very well to say plagiarism is bad, you must be fired for it, but, but, but I have a right to know what the hell that really means. Not after the fact, not later on, but before, before that decision is made. I did what I thought was the right thing. Now we apply your rule retroactively and I'm screwed. My career is shot. Ten years of grad school? What am I going to do, become a salesman? He took a deep breath. Bez, I know you think I did something wrong and I respect that opinion, but, but for the love of heaven, you owe me just this tiniest benefit of the doubt. All, all ideas are in the public domain. Everything is relative. Nothing is true. And, and yet you apply this Old Testament black and white judgment to what you will surely admit is a complicated case. If, if I'd had any doubt, any at all, about writing the article, I would have come to you first. How, how do you think I expected to get away with it? I know what an explosive idea this is, that, that it would get, gain me some notoriety. Do you, do you think I'm that stupid, that, that I don't have any idea what kind of risk I was taking? Why would I do that? Why? No, I, I think you owe me more than that, Bez, both as my boss and my friend. This is a sea of grey we're swimming in. I can't be damned by nothing more substantial than opinions. And if there is anything more substantial than opinion, here or anywhere, none have proven this to be true, least of all you. Alda finished, panting. His mouth was almost positively feral. Bez looked at him for a long time. I, I don't really believe that there is no such thing as objective truth, he said softly. And you're writhing like a butterfly on a nail. The nail of your own conscience. Alder, Alder, why don't you just tell the truth? You made a mistake. You did something wrong. You stole that boy's idea and tried to pass it off as your own. It's okay. We've all made mistakes of one form or another. Publishing that article a few years ago was one of mine. You did something wrong and stared as it snowballed. And now you've gotten caught up in it. We're all human. Take your lumps and move on. I didn't bring you here to fire you. Alter's head jerked up. No, 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 said Bez. I want to give you the chance to resign. Alter opened his mouth, his eyes darting. But, continued Bez, you have to do two things. You have to admit that you were inspired by this boy's idea and you have to put your name after his on all future publications. Alder's jaw worked. He realized suddenly that the longer he let the pause linger, the more guilty he looked. His lips opened slowly. It felt as if something inside him was breaking, something black and diseased, which cracked open and left a stain on his spine which could never be cleaned. I didn't... <coughs> I did not take his idea. That idea was influenced by a discussion we had once. 
Is the fact that Plato advocated dictatorship now suddenly a proprietary notion? Yes, of course. This kid was the first to notice it. What a genius! He stood up. He stood up and began grabbing at his things, at his coat, blindly, wishing he could be slamming the door at that very moment. Alter! shouted Bez, jumping up and putting his fists on his desk. Alder started, his hands were shaking. Did you steal this boy's idea? No, no. Why are we shouting? Did you? Are you lying to my face? Bez's face was red, and for some reason Alder suddenly remembered that his department head was Iranian, or Persian, as he constantly corrected people. No, whispered Alder, then gathered some strength into his voice. No, and... And, 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 and if you repeat that accusation outside this office, I will sue you. But I can, of course, said Bez with a sudden smile. I can, and I shall have to, because the media will want to know why I am firing our most famous academic du jour. Then, then you, you, you will hear from the Union, spat Alder, then turned to go. As he yanked up his coat, loose change spilled all over the floor. Bez laughed sadly, and Alder felt consciously murderous for the first time in his adult life. This seemingly endless audiobook continues in the next file.